everybody. I'm glad you are here. And we want to ask you this morning to open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in this book for probably most of the morning as far as our scripture references that we will be looking at and some that we will be reading. And of course, we are on the third Sunday of a, su- of a subject we've called spiritual authority, spiritual authority. And of course, uh, if you're a Bible student, you probably would agree with me that the book of Ephesians, perhaps more than any of Paul's epistles, focuses on the reality of the spiritual realm, the realm outside of time, the realm outside of the limitations of this natural world. Another one-word definition for that is supernatural, above the natural, not limited by the natural. Anything that is supernatural is not limited by time and not limited by the laws and rules of the natural world. You know, a lot of times people just say, well, I don't know that I can accept that. I don't know that I can believe all that. I just believe in what I see, and I just believe in what I feel. I believe in what my senses tell me. Well, of course, that person wants to live uh, right near uh, uh, Chernobyl, I guess. You know, you can't feel... Uh, that radioactivity, and you don't see it, you don't smell it, you don't taste it, but it's killed a number of people. No, we believe in things all the time that we don't see with the senses or know about all there is to know about it through our mind, but we yet believe. You see, because we were created to believe. Humans were created to believe. It's not a weakness. It's not a sign of mental problems. It's a sign that you are human. Humans were created by God to believe in God and all that he says. And so the fact about our life here on the earth is that we live in two worlds at once. We live in the natural world, but we are spiritual beings. So I like to say it this way, we're spiritual beings having natural experiences. We're not just natural uh, beings having occasional spiritual experiences. We are actually spirit beings having natural experiences. And that's why that until and unless that spiritual void that is in every man or woman who doesn't know the Lord Jesus, until that void is filled by the person of Jesus himself, then there's going to be something missing in life. You can go in the world and do a lot of fun things. You can attain to a lot of great things and you can experience and see some marvelous, marvelous things. But if there is no spiritual fulfillment, all of those things kind of ring hollow. At the end of the day, at the moment, they might just seem so thrilling and overwhelming almost. But at the end of the day, we look back and say, what was that about? What did it do? And where did that come from? Who created that beautiful thing that I just saw or I experienced? Well, we know there's a God. And so in this book, in the book of Ephesians, and by the way, please turn there to chapter 1, you'll find that uh, Paul addresses some very powerful spiritual truths concerning we who are living in a natural body here on the earth. And so he begins with wonderful statements about what we have in Christ in chapter 1 early on. And then he moves over into the 15th verse and begins to tell us about a prayer that he prayed for the Ephesians. And of course, this is given to us as Holy Scripture, inspired by the Holy Spirit to be written. And so it's timeless. It's the Word of God. It's, 
it's as much real for us today as it was for those that he wrote it to in the first century. And so he begins to explain to them in verse 15, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. So Paul prayed this particular prayer we're getting ready to read all the time. He prayed it consistently. Evidently, probably every day. I know I make this my prayer for you every day. I pray for myself this prayer every day. For all of those that are reached and affected and touched by this ministry. This is one of my daily prayers for you. Because this is one of those prayers that's not a one and done. It's a prayer that you do need to pray over and over again and again. So that you might be able to enjoy the benefits of it. So what, what was it that he prayed? Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ... The Father of glory may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. And so we see the first thing that he, he's asking for is for a move of the Holy Spirit, an operation of the Holy Spirit in the area of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. So that makes this very, very important to us. He goes on to say, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe. Now, I'm going to stop for just a moment. Three things he said that he wanted the Ephesians, and of course, through Scripture, we see this is God's will for us as well. Three things that we need to see. Number one, we need to understand the hope of his calling on our life. Everybody has a call. Not everybody's going to stand behind a pulpit and preach. Not everybody's going to pastor a church. Not everybody has the same kind of call. Not everybody is going to um, be full-time in ministry. But everybody has a call to their place and their part in the body of Christ. Wherever you go this week, whatever job you're on, if, if you're working at a particular job somewhere, then you're there as a representative, an ambassador of Christ. And so you need to know what your calling in Him is because that's going to have a direct bearing on how you live your life, how you do your job, and all of those things that are involved. And so the second thing that he said was to have a revelation of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. In other words, what's in the will? What am I going to receive? What is my inheritance? And the good thing about it is we don't have to wait till some far distant day to find out what's in the will, all you have to do is open your New Testament. And when you open the New Testament, you find out what the will of God is for you. You find out, particularly, your inheritance, what belongs to you, what's been bought and paid for, set aside in the account, ready for you to draw upon to enjoy. Paul said, I want you to have a revelation of that. And remember what we were talking about last week about revelation? It's the revealing of something that you haven't seen yet, you don't really know about it yet perhaps, and you certainly don't fully understand it right now, but when it's revealed properly, you see it, you understand it. We use that terminology all the time. Oh, I see. Yeah, I see that. And we talk about that in terms of concepts. You know, it's not necessarily a physical thing we see, like, a, you know, like a, an iPad or whatever, but we talk about it in terms of concepts. We talk about it in terms of ideas, 
And we say, I see, meaning I understand. I know what you're talking about. Well, the prayer here is that there's a revelation to see the calling of God in your life and to see the inheritance that belongs to you. And number three, and this is what we really want to focus on, is to see what is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward who believe according to the working of His mighty power. Now, in verse 19 are uh, a number of words that are translated, and they all have to do with power or authority. We're talking about spiritual authority. Remember our definition. It is authority is the right, the legal right, to act. Authority that has, in our case as humans, been delegated to us. We didn't win it. We didn't uh, earn it. We didn't conquer to get it. Jesus did all that. He won. He conquered. He's the victor. He paid for it with his own blood. And then he delegated that authority that he had to us. And that's what the Great Commission is all about. In Matthew 28, when Jesus said, All authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore. He was basically giving to the church the power of attorney. We are his ambassadors. We are his representatives. And we're told basically, go write checks in my name. Go sign my name to those checks. Your prayers are your checks. Your confessions of faith are your checks. Your commands against the enemy to put him in his place. Those are your checks. We are not a conquering army necessarily, uh, except in the sense that we would take back what the devil's stolen. But really what we are in the, in the first place is a, an occupying army. We occupy, much like the Allies occupied, uh, defeated Germany after World War II, and we still have troops there to this very day. We've been occupying there for many, many years. Our role has changed, but yet there are troops there. Well, that's what we're doing as a church in the earth. We are occupying, taking the place of victory that Jesus has already won. When you talk about spiritual battle, please understand it's not about defeating the devil. It's about putting the devil and demons in their place that Jesus already has them in. Don't let him out of the box. Don't let him into your life. Don't, don't allow him uh, a, a place. The Bible says, you know, neither give place to the devil. That word place, you remember that verse? I think it's in Philippians. Uh, neither give place to the devil. That word place there is the Greek word topos, T-O-P-O-S. It's where we get the word topography from. And it means don't give the devil a place to put his foot in your life. Don't give him a foothold. Don't give him a foothold. Because you do know, don't you, that if you let him in, he wants to take over. If you let him ride, he'll want to drive. Amen? Uh, I mean, he's not going to be satisfied sitting in the back seat just fussing at you. He's going to want to come up there and take hold of the wheel and wreck your life, destroy your life. And so we have to learn how to use the authority that has been delegated to us. And so when Paul prayed this prayer, he went on to explain a little more about this power and about the authority. Verse 19, and what is the exceeding, read the verse again, what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he worked or wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So we get a picture of the, the kind of power he's talking about. 
We're talking about resurrection power. You see, you can't be saved without believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's essential. Christianity is not a, a, a package of rules and regulations. It's not a moral code. It is eternal life. And that life comes by confessing Jesus as Lord. Now, that it's not necessary to receive eternal life that we be able to figure everything out because none of us have figured everything out. Can you say amen? None of us. But it is essential that we believe and that we confess Jesus as Lord. And it's then, when we take that step of faith, that there is a change unlike any other that we've ever experienced that takes place on the inside. You ever wonder what makes believers believers? Why they are so adamant about their faith? Why they are so uh, strong in proclaiming the lordship of Jesus and their belief in the Bible and the Christian way? Well, it's because they have not only by faith accepted Jesus, but when that happened, they allowed him, that was the opening of the door, to allow him to come in and recreate the human spirit to make them what Paul calls in 2 Corinthians 5.17 a new creature or a new creation in Christ. And so if I'm a new creation, then that means I'm not who I used to be. I'm not what I used to be. So yes, I'm going to be different. And the difference is I am now in fellowship and union with God. And in the union I have with God, there is communion, there is fellowship, there is communication between the Father and me. And therefore, I come to know and have come to know the Lord just like I know you, only I know him even better than I know you. Because you see, one of the things about the Father is that he will always continue to reveal himself to us. You might hide something from me. I might hide something from you. There may be something in my past or in your past that you would rather not talk about or I would rather not talk about. And so we just kind of let that lie. But when it comes to God, he has nothing to hide. There's no skeletons in his closet. And so he's willing to reveal, and he constantly reveals himself, his will, his purposes, his plans, his power to us as we spend time in his presence. And if you don't spend regular time, just you and God, not only you talking, but also you listening, attentive to hear the voice of the Lord, if you don't do that, on a regular basis, then you're missing one of the greatest blessings that life has to offer. God will tell you about things before you'll ever hear about them on the television news. God will reveal things to you about situations and circumstances, and many times it will even involve other people. And you will know things before the, even the truth comes out. And you will know what to do, and you'll know how to react and how to respond, and you won't be caught off guard. The Lord will even warn you about things that need to be changed through prayer and through the speaking of the word, through binding and loosing, as we call. Jesus talked about that in, uh, in uh, Matthew chapter uh, 18. Uh, he, he, will, uh, he will tell you about things that you can change. And if there are things that, that cannot be changed because of the will that, of other people that's involved and circumstances that they put into motion and they won't change then he will tell you about it even just to get you ready sometimes. 
so that you can deal with it properly. Amen. So you say, well, how do I know when there's something I need to change? And how would I know when it's something that I just need to prepare for? There again, it's communion with God that will let you know what you need to do. And let me say this to you. God will respond to questions. It's all right to say, Lord, what did you mean by that? You know, he already knows how, how dumb I am. He knows how limited I am. And so I don't have to keep telling him, Lord, I, you know, I don't know much. And all. He already knows that. But I can't ask him, Lord, I need to know something here. I need to know something there. And he will, he will tell you. Now, let me say this. I believe there's a bunch of folks that don't want to ask because they don't want to know. Because they may have to do something. They may have to change something. They may have to make an adjustment. They don't, they're not willing to make right now. But if you want to find out from God, he will tell you. Amen? Amen, amen, amen. And so this power that God wrought in Christ empowers us into a place of complete victory over the enemy in spite of the fallen world. Amen. And it's essential, as I said, that we believe in the Lordship of Jesus, essential that we confess Him as our Lord. And when that happens, that change I'm talking about, the new birth happens, and we're made a new creature in Christ, and then life is forever changed. For me, that happened when I was just a kid. And, uh, you know, I'm older now. I'll just put it that way. And, uh, and I, my life's never been the same. Never been the same. And so in the Christian life, the power of resurrection is the greatest manifestation of power. We think about the creation of the universe and how that even today it expands in every direction at the speed of light. It has never ceased to come into existence. I mean, it's there, but it's constantly expanding. All because of one word from God. God said, light be, in English, two words, but, but just that one statement from God, to this very day, nothing has stopped that word from coming to pass. Let's go to the book of Hebrews for a minute, chapter 1. Now, I don't always know where I'm going when I get up here, and I certainly didn't intend to go here, but we just follow the Holy Ghost. And that's one of the joys of pastoring is you get to come back if it takes 20 weeks <laughs> because we want to take our time. We want to learn what we need to learn. And these things change you. As long as you live thinking this natural world is all there is, as long as you live thinking you're at the mercy of the UN and politicians and, and uh, you know, governmental officials or whoever, as long as you live thinking that this natural world is all there is and that uh, you don't know what may happen, do you have this genetic flaw, do you have this uh, situation going on, how's it all going to end up? You see, and the whole world's living in that kind of fear. And we know that fear is a supremely powerful, well, I wouldn't say supremely, but it is very powerful influencer of people. The last two and a half years has proven to us that you can take fear of death and you can cause people to do just about anything you can imagine, regardless of how ridiculous or how unproven your thesis may be. People just are afraid. They're afraid of their shadows. They're afraid to die. They're afraid to live. They're afraid of 
shortage. They're afraid of this. They're afraid of that. And we're told actually in the book of Hebrews that the devil through fear of death held men in bondage all their lifetime. I'm not saying don't be prudent. I'm not saying don't be smart. I'm not saying be foolish. But I'm saying don't live in fear. Because if you live in a state of constant fear, you're dead while you're living. But in the book of Hebrews, it says, God, verse 1, chapter 1, God who at sundry times, I'm reading from the King James, that would be many different times, and in diverse or divers or diverse manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. We're talking about creation. We're talking about the universe expanding. We're talking about all this on the account of the Word of God. Let's, let's read on. Who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person. That's saying Jesus perfectly represented the Father. He would be, in modern terms, the mirror image. And this is what I want to really get to here. And upholding how many things? All things by the Word of His power. So when God said light be and light began to expand at least at 186,000 miles per second in every direction, the reason it has not stopped is because the Word of God has not been retracted or taken back. And all things we see are upheld by the Word of His power. Somebody said, well, you think all that happened in 6,000 years? Well, I don't have a problem with it taking 20 million years, whatever. I do know that at some point back about that time, this race, the human race, was created. And we've been dealing with God all through that time. However long before all of that and all that happened, I don't know. I don't have all the answers. But, uh, you know, I was an underground coal miner for a while. And so when you're, when you're a mile under a mountain and you look up, and you see a fern imprinted in the rock above your head. The earth has probably got some age on it. But that doesn't mean God didn't create all things. Amen. That just, you know, I just want to throw that out there. Give you something to think about. Get those rusty gears turning this morning. But God upholds all things. Or the Lord Jesus actually upholds all things by the word of his power. Now, I brought all of that up because we can understand the sheer raw power involved in God's creation. I'm not a physicist. I can, I'm glad I could say it the first time. <laughs> but we understand that there is power in an atom that is literally can be explosive power, amazing power. That we, you know, we can't see with the natural eye. It's too small, but how powerful it is. So we understand creation having, um, coming from a God who, who is all-powerful. But here's my point I want to get to today. That power was not the same amount and was not as much as was necessary when Jesus was raised from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus was the greatest manifestation of power 
that has ever been known. For the second person of the Trinity, the Word, to be made flesh, live a perfect and sinless life, and then at the cross take our place, become our substitute, and become sin with our sins, sick with our sicknesses, cursed with the curse due unto us, to take all of that as my substitute, as your substitute, and to yield himself to obedience even to the death of the cross, to cause demons to be gleeful. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, you know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and said, had the princes of this world known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Oh, they were so happy that they had gotten rid of Jesus. The devil evidently thought he won. And then, I mean, tell them I'm busy. Don't they know I'm preaching right now at this time on Sunday morning? But, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the, the devil thought he had won. But on the third day, whoo, glory to God. <laughs> all of hell would be shuddering. All of hell would be trembling. There was no way to hold the God-man in death any longer. The Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Father God was raising him from the dead. And no devil in hell could stop it. The power that was required was a power to overcome sin. A power to overcome Satan. A power to overcome the fall. A power that would literally allow God to legally change our nature from one of sin to righteousness, from one of the curse to the blessing, from one of being alienated and isolated from God to a place where we could literally be raised up and seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Oh, what power! Hallelujah! Thank God! And that means anything that is of the curse, sickness, disease, poverty, fear, or anything else is also under the feet of Jesus and also subject to the name of Jesus and is also something we don't have to put up with. Hallelujah. And yes, I get excited about it. Hallelujah. And so he's praying for the church to see, for us to see, Verse 19, Ephesians 1, What is the exceeding greatness of His power to us who to believe according to the working of His mighty power which He wrought or worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and set Him at His own right hand in the heavenly places, exalted to the highest seat in the universe. Far above, verse 21, we're talking about spiritual authority. Here comes the ranks and divisions of authority that, that Paul wants us to understand Jesus has uh, defeated for us far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named remember authority is carried through name through words but primarily through name if you go out here and somebody's trying to stop traffic and they don't have the proper authorization you're not going to stop are you but if they have been authorized, if they are an agent of the state, an agent of the government, if they have been sent by the proper authority, then you're going you're gonna to stop. You're going to do what they say. And so it is with the devil. If he understands that you know that you are authorized, and he understands you know that you have this authority, you see, because that's the only way you're going to exercise it by faith. That's an important point to get this morning. That's why Paul was praying that these people would see, that we would see. 
this truth. Because if you don't know it by revelation, if you don't see it from Scripture and you don't believe that, then you can say, get behind me, Satan. You can say, in the name of Jesus. You can say, I bind you, I whatever, all day long, and it's not going to work unless you know you're authorized to use it. So you got to know. you got to know. Amen? Like the guy went into the store, the store owner had the parrot. You've heard this story? Some of you have. Maybe somebody hasn't, so I'll tell it for the sake of those who hasn't. Uh, haven't heard yet. But anyway, goes in, and the, the store owner has a parrot. The parrot looks over, and he looks at this woman who's with her husband, and he says, you're ugly. You're ugly. You're ugly. You're the ugliest woman I've ever seen. You're the ugliest woman I've ever seen. And... Uh, they're very offended. They just think this is horrible. The store owner, the shopkeeper looks and sees that something's wrong. And he said, what's going on? What's he saying? And he said, that bird is saying that my wife is the ugliest woman he's ever seen. The store owner goes over, scolds the bird, opens the cage, grabs it up, thrashes it a little bit. Feathers are flying around, puts it back in there and says, now you shut up. And the people look around the store, they get ready to leave, and they come over, they get hold of the door, and they look over at the bird, the bird looks at them, and the bird only says two words, you know, (laughs) you know. So, (laughs) there's an ugly person trying to destroy your life, and you need to tell him, you know. Devil, you know what happened to you 2,000 years ago. You may act like you don't know. You may act like it doesn't matter. But I know that I know that I know whom I serve and whose I am. I know that God Almighty has invested into the Lord Jesus Christ all authority over death, hell, and the grave and over every demon and every devil. And that authority has been given unto me to share with him as part of the body of Christ. So therefore, Satan, you are under my feet. Stop messing around. Stop harassing me. Get away from my children. Get out of my house. Get away from my money. Get away from my body. I am the property of God Almighty. My body doesn't even belong to me anymore. It's God. So therefore, I'm walking in the blessing. Satan is defeated. Hallelujah. He's not going to be defeated. He is defeated. I'm not trying to defeat him every day. I'm simply an occupying part of the army who says to the devil, you know So move out of the way. You know. So take your hands off that situation. Amen. Far above all principality. And this has to do with with governing powers. This has to do with territorial spirits. All kinds and levels of demonic forces. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. Not only in this world but also in that which is to come. And, everybody say and. He's not finished. It's so important to get what comes after the end. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. That's what we learned last week from 2 Corinthians 2.14. We win every time and we win everywhere. I don't know about you, but I hate to lose. I tell this story on myself. It's a horrible confession. Some of you are going to think I'm an awful person, but you'll just have to pray because you've got to love me to go to heaven. Um, 
but I just hate to lose. I'm a very competitive person. And I remember when my kids were little, and, you know, this was ancient times. Um, but I remember, you know, they had Pac-Man, you know, the little things that come and you play on your television, you know, gobbling up things. And I, I like to play Ms. Pac-Man. She was my favorite. Amen. <laughs> anyway. Uh, but we'd be playing, you know, and, 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 and one of the kids would be getting the best of me. I'd just reach over and punch the reset button. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but, of course, based on what I preached today, they knew. They knew. We hadn't heard that story yet, so they, they could have looked at me and said, You know, but I hate to lose. And I'm telling you, that we don't have to lose as a believer. You don't have to lose to disease. You don't have to lose to poverty. You don't have to lose to fear. You don't have to lose to, to destroyed homes and marriages and relationships. You do not have to lose. If you know who you are and you know your position in Christ. Because here's something you need to know about that little story I just told you, little joke. Not only does the devil know, but you must know. That's what Paul was praying here. Paul knew the devil knew, but Paul wanted you to know. Do you know who you are? Do you know what you have? Do you know what you can do? And he says, all of this stuff, all this mess of the devil is under the feet of Jesus. Verse 23, and he speaks, or actually verse 22, we'll finish, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, that's you and me, right? Which is his what? Body. The fullness of him that filleth all in all. If I'm just the bottom layer of skin on the bottom of the foot, I'm still above the devil. Amen. I'm still. I mean, if I'm, just a, if I'm just a corn on the bottom of the foot, I'm still. I'm in a better place than the devil. Do you realize, don't you, nobody's been a loser longer than the devil. Nobody is more terrified about their future. Than the devil. You know, the spirit of fear is from the devil. So the idea the devil has no fear, that's not valid. He is full of fear. He is full of doubt. He's full of apprehension. And one of the biggest things, and I want you to get this this morning, one of the biggest things the devil is afraid of is for you to know who you are and what your authority is in Christ. It's one of the biggest things he, he, he hates. And that's why he don't want anybody to teach about it. That's why he enjoys Christians getting up singing, Here I wander like a beggar through the heat and the cold. And my burdens are so heavy, Lord, my sorrows untold. You heard me and Doug singing that as a duet. Isn't that sad that we know that song? But people, people, that's the attitude a lot of people have about Christianity. Well, I'm going to get saved, and I guess I'll never have any fun anymore. I'm going to get saved. I'll be broke probably from now on. I'm going to be saved. I'm going to have to go down there and deal with all those corny Christians from now on. I'm saved. I can never, you know. That's exactly the way the devil wants you to think. But, you know, I tell you, we have a lot of fun around here. We've got some mighty blessed people here. God is so good and so faithful. But you know what? One of the reasons why, and this is not the only reason, and we're not perfected in this yet, but we know who we are. We know who we are. Let's go to chapter 2. 
And um, I'm going to close in chapter 2. That's, that's as far as we'll get. So in closing, which means nothing, of course, but we will start with this. Chapter 2, verse 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Notice he's continuing the thought. There were no chapter divisions and verse divisions in the original letter. It's just one letter. You know, when you wrote a letter to some, when you write a letter to somebody today, or if you ever wrote, you know, anybody ever wrote any love letters? Well, you won't even admit it. Oh, Glenn and I used to write love letters. And then one time I got in a world of trouble, and I'm still in the doghouse over this. We moved. I know you're shocked we ever moved anywhere, but we moved one time, and uh, I mistakenly threw them away. They're in a landfill or somewhere. I think actually they're up on a strip mine job with dirt and rocks covered over them. That's where they are, I think. But anyway, we would write those letters. And, uh, <laughs> and so Paul wrote this letter. And, he, and I didn't write those in chapter and verse. He didn't write in chapter and verse. So, he, so let's read verse 23 and go right into it. Which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And you, you the body hath he quickened or made alive who were dead. Now he's beginning to back up and talk about our condition before we came to know the Lord. Who were dead in trespasses and sins. That means spiritually dead. Not spiritually alive or aware unto God. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world. You see, whatever your spiritual condition is, is going to determine your walk. If you're spiritually dead, you're going to walk like a spiritually dead person. If you're spiritually alive then you're going to walk in a different way. He said, you walked according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Let me stop just long enough to say that all unbelievers are more or less influenced by the devil. I didn't say they're all demon-possessed. I didn't call them the devil. But all unbelievers, unborn again, unsaved people, people who are spiritually dead, that gap, if you will, in their life, the devil tries to fill. And that determines why they live the way they live. So the next time you're, you are just up to your fullness with the antics of somebody that doesn't know God and you're just about to read them the riot act or throw them away, please remember, they're just doing what it's their nature to do. Dogs bark, cats meow, cows moo, sinners sin. Doesn't mean we have to like it, doesn't mean we approve of it, but it just means we've got to understand the problem is not the deeds they do. The problem is the nature that causes them to do that. So that we were all there. Among, verse 3, among whom also we all had our conversation, or that means our manner of life, the way we lived, our lifestyle, in times past. And here's the lifestyle of a person without Jesus, in the lusts of our flesh. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, aren't you glad that's there? Whew. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. So he's kind of repeating what he said in the previous chapter. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace you are saved. And, look at verse 6, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That is our position as a believer. 
That's our place of authority, seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. And I want you just to notice verse 7, why God did this. I mean, we understand he did it to give us victory. He did it so we could enjoy abundant, eternal life. But there's more. This shows you the, the heart of God. This shows you the great goodness of God. He says that in the ages to come, so that's all through eternity, the various ages yet to come in eternity, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. The real truth, and all truth is real, of course. I don't know why I say that. The truth is, God's not bringing you to heaven so you can just lavish him with your praise and worship, even though we're going to do that. But he is doing all this because there's more goodness he wants to show you. The exceeding greatness, the exceeding riches, rather, of his grace. There are things that he has not yet shown to us that he's going to have to take us out of this world for us to be able to enjoy and to see. And he's really good here, isn't he? I mean, it's just wonderful to serve God right now. But can you imagine? There's so many good things that, that actually he's going to take us unto himself so he can show us through the ages to come. And imagine that there's so much that it takes ages in order to show. In Bible terminologies, we have been in the church age, quote unquote, for 2,000 years. So an age is not necessarily a short span of time. Most of the time, it's very long. This says ages. So there is so much goodness in God and so many blessings in God and so much power in God that it's going to take the ages of eternity to keep, uh, uh, that he will keep revealing himself. It's like turning pages in a book that you never get to the end of. And let me say this to you, a million years from now, you're still going to be amazed at what God is revealing. You're going to still stand in awe of his goodness. You're going to still rejoice and worship. You're not going to get bored. We're not going to be naked babies sitting on clouds strumming harps. We're going to be real people living in the goodness and the blessing of God, enjoying the revelation of who he is throughout eternity. Amen? Hallelujah. Aren't you glad for authority? Say this with me. I am who the Word says I am. I can do what the Word says I can do. I have what the Word says I have. The God of the Word lives in me now. And greater is He that's in me than he that is in the world. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that today the blessing and the mercy and the grace of God would be revealed in such a powerful and mighty way that no person can leave here untouched, unaffected, unchanged by your presence, your power, and your goodness. We are grateful and thankful for the finished work of Jesus because, Father, the one thing that we didn't get around to saying today but we acknowledge before you is the fact that you did not have to do this for us. There was no requirement upon you to redeem fallen men. Nobody could force your hand to bring us into this blessed and privileged place. 
but you in your love, mercy, and grace, you determined that you would redeem us. You saw something in us greater and more precious than we ever have seen in ourselves. You saw us, as Jesus told us the parable, as the pearl of great price that would cause someone to sell all they had just to buy the field to get the prize. Jesus laid aside his glory, his riches, his power, his heavenly privilege to come to the earth to actually buy this pearl found in the field. And Father God, today, we thank you for accepting us, for saving us, cleansing us, making us a new creature in Christ. And we ask you right now in Jesus' name, that if there's one in the building here today or one who might be watching this video, anyone under the sound of my voice that is not in a right relationship with you, that does not know you in the way we've described today, they don't know you intimately, personally, they've never been born again. Or perhaps there are those who have truly come to know you at some point in their life, but they're not living for you. They're not right with you. They need a change. They need repentance. Lord, I know you stand with open arms. You are ever ready to forgive, to cleanse, to make new. And so we pray today that those who need to make a move towards you would do so now in Jesus' name. Heads bowed, eyes closed for a moment might be here in the room and you say, that's me and I need Jesus. We're not going to embarrass you, of course. We're not going to ask you to give us a detailed explanation of your past. We're not going to ask you to come forward with some confession of, of your life. We just ask you to acknowledge Jesus as your Lord, to receive him today. If you do that with a true and honest heart, you will be in a state of repentance. You will realize, I'm a sinner, I need saved. I'm not perfect. I need perfection brought into my life. And though I'm not perfect as a human, and I'm not going to be perfect as a human in the earth, I can have a new creature. I can be a new creature and have a new spirit in Christ Jesus. If that's you and you say, I want Jesus, I'd like to lead you in prayer. I would like for you to pray with me from your heart. And you can be born again today, or you can be reinstated, we might say. If you walked away from the things of God, you can repent and come home. Come back to Father's house. Anybody, just put your hand up real quickly. We'll pray for you. We'll pray with you. Anybody? Amen. Praise the Lord. We have a hand? Amen. Hallelujah. God bless you, sir. I want everybody to pray this with me. And those who would raise your hand or anybody that's watching, if you'll pray this and mean it, Jesus is getting ready to move into your life. You'll never be the same. The best experience you've ever had. Everybody pray this with me. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I believe that Jesus came to the earth as God manifest in flesh. I believe Jesus died for me in my place 
took my sin in my place. And I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And I also take him now and confess him now as my Lord and Savior. In the name of Jesus, I confess Jesus is my Lord. And Lord, I will serve you. Lord Jesus, I will serve you all the rest of my life. I give you myself. Take me. Use me. In Jesus' name. Now let's all lift up our hands and praise the Lord. If you prayed that prayer this day, then the Lord has done what he said he would do. And he has not cast you out. He's come into your life. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. The new birth is not an emotional experience, though it affects our emotions. It's not a mental experience, though it certainly does involve and affect our mentality. But it is a spiritual experience. It is a resurrection, if you will. A dead human is made alive. I'm talking about spiritually dead. So if you prayed, please let us know. Let somebody up here in the front know. Let's let an usher know. Let somebody know. Make your confession of faith. I receive Jesus. And then just make up your mind. I'm going after God. Get in the Word of God. Get into prayer. And get into church and serve the Lord. He'll change your life forever. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Now if you'll stand with me for just a moment. I want you to put your hands on your body if you have need of healing. If you're sick in any way or in pain. This is but a one way of a number of ways that we minister to healing to the sick. But today I just want you to believe with me and I'm going to agree and believe with you for your healing. It might be a long standing. It might be something you battled a long time. It might be some chronic thing that comes and goes. It might be something that the doctors say they can't really fix. There's no medication to cure it. You may be, as they say nowadays, managing symptoms, managing a condition. I'm here to tell you today that God can take it away. He already did. He laid it on Jesus. So why would you bear it? Why should I bear what Jesus already bore for me? So in the name of Jesus, as we lay hands on our bodies today, I agree with my brothers and my sisters as pastor of this church, as a spiritual father in this house, I say, be healed. Be healed in the name of Jesus. Satan, take your hands off the bodies of God's people. This is not your property. You don't have a right to rule in us. So I command you in every symptom of sickness and disease, any kind of deformity or malfunction, all pain, go in the name of Jesus. We boldly declare that we are the healed, not the sick, the head, not the tail. We are above and not beneath. In Jesus' name.